Chapter 31 of The Riders of the Silences by Max Brand. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Jacqueline ran to the door and threw it open. Ride down the valley, she cried. That's right. He's coming up, and he'll meet you on the way. He'll be glad to see you. She saw the rider swing sharply about, and the clatter of the galloping hoofs died out up the valley. Then she closed the door, dropped the latch, and running to the middle of the room, threw up her arms and cried out, a wild, shrill yell of triumph, like the call of the old Indian brave when he rises with the scalp of his murdered enemy dripping in his hand. The extended arms she caught back to her breast and stood there with head tilted back, crushing her delight closer to her heart. And she whispered, Pierre, mine, mine, Pierre. Next, she went to the steel mirror on the wall and looked long at the flushed, triumphant image. At length, she started like one awakening from a happy dream and hurriedly coiled the thick, soft tresses about her head. Never before had she lingered so over a toilet, patting each lock into place, twisting her head from side to side like a peacock, admiring its image. Now she looked about hungrily for a touch of color, and uttered a little moan of vexation when she saw nothing, till her eyes, piercing through the gloom of a dim corner, saw a spray of autumn leaves, long left there, and still stained with beauty. She fastened them at the breast of her shirt, and so arrayed began to cook. Never was there a merrier cook, not even some jolly French chef with a heart made warm with good red wine. For she sang as she worked, and whenever she had to cross the room it was with a dancing step. Spring was in her blood, warm spring that sets men smiling for no cause except that they are living, and rejoicing with the whole awakening world. So it was with Jacqueline. Ever and anon, as she leaned over the pans and stirred the fire, she raised her head and remained a moment motionless, waiting for a sound, yearning to hear, and each time she had to look down again with a sigh. As it was, he took her by surprise. He entered with the soft foot of the hunted and remained an instant searching the room with a careful glance. Not that he suspected, not that he had not relaxed his guard and his vigilance the moment he caught sight of the flicker of light through the mass of great boulders. But the lifelong habit of watchfulness remained with him. Even when he spoke face to face with a man, he never seemed to be giving more than half his attention. For might not someone else approach if he lost himself in order to listen to any one voice? He had covered half the length of the room with that soundless step before she heard, and rose with a glad cry, Pierre. Meeting that calm blue eye, she checked herself mightily. A hard ride, she asked. Nothing much. He took the rock nearest the fire, and then raised a glance of inquiry. I got cold, she said, and rolled it over. He considered her and then the rock. 
not with suspicion, but as if he held the matter in abeyance for further consideration. A hunted man and a hunter must keep an eye for little things, must carry an armed hand and an armed heart, even among friends. As for Jacqueline, her color had risen, and she leaned hurriedly over a pan in which meat was frying. Any results? she asked. Some. She waited, knowing that the story would come at length. He added after a moment, Strange how careless some people get to be. Yes, she queried. Yes. Another pause, during which he casually drummed his fingers on his knee. She saw that he must receive more encouragement before he would tell, and she gave it, smiling to herself. Women are old in certain ways of understanding in which men remain children forever. I suppose we're still broke, Pierre? Broke? Well, not entirely. I got some results. Good. As a matter of fact, it was a pretty fair haul. Watch that meat, Jack. I think it's burning. It was hardly beginning to cook, but she turned it obediently and hid another slow smile. Rising, she passed behind his chair and pretended to busy herself with something near the wall. This was the environment and attitude which would make him talk most freely, she knew. Speaking of careless men, said Pierre, I could tell you a yarn, Jack. She stood close behind him and made about his unconscious head a gesture of caress, the overflow of an infinite tenderness. I'd sure like to hear it, Pierre. Well, it was like this. I knew a fellow who started on the range with a small stock of cattle. He wasn't a very good worker, and he didn't understand cattle any too well so he didn't prosper for quite a while. Then his affairs took a sudden turn for the better. His herd began to increase. Nobody understood the reason, though a good many suspected, but one man fell onto the reason. Our friend was simply running in a few doggies on the side, and he arranged a very ingenious way of changing the brands. Pierre, well, what does genius mean? Why, I should say it means skillful, clever, and it carries with it the connotation of novel. It carries the con, cano. What's that word, Pierre? I'm going to get some books for you, Jack, and we'll do a bit of reading on the side, shall we? I'd love that. He turned and looked up to her sharply. He said, Sometimes, Jack, you talk just like a girl. Do I? That's queer, isn't it? but go on with the story. He changed the brands very skillfully, and no one got the dope on him except this one man I mentioned, and that man kept his face shut. He waited. So it went on for a good many years. The herd of our friend grew very rapidly. He sold just enough cattle to keep himself and his wife alive. He was bent on making one big haul, you see. So when his doggies got to the right age and condition for the market, he traded them off, one fat doggie, for two or three skinny yearlings. But finally he had a really big herd together and shipped it off to the market on a year when the price was sky high. Like this year? Don't interrupt me, Jack. 
From the shadow behind him she smiled again. They went at a corking price, and our friend cleared up a good many thousand. I wouldn't say just how much. He sank part of it in a ruby brooch for his wife, and shoved the rest into its satchel. You see how careful he'd been all these years, while he was piling up his fortune. Well, he began to get careless the moment he cashed in, which was rather odd. He depended on his fighting power to keep that money safe, but he forgot that while he had been making a business of rustling doggies and watching cattle markets, other men had been making a business of shooting fast and straight. Among others, there was the silent man who watched and waited for so long. But this silent man hove alongside while our rich friend was bound home in a buckboard. Good evening, he called. The rich chap turned and heard it. It all seemed all right, but he'd done a good deal of shady business in his day, and that made him suspicious of the silent man now. So he reached for his gun and got it out just in time to be shot cleanly through the hand. The silent man tied up that hand and sympathized with the rich chap. Then he took that satchel and divided the paper money into two bundles. One was twice the size of the other, and the silent man took the smaller one. There was only $12,000 in it. Also, he took the ruby brooch for a friend, and has a sort of keepsake, you know and he delivered a short lecture to the rich man on the subject of carelessness and rode away. The rich man picked up his gun with his left hand and opened fire, but he'd never learned to shoot very well with that hand, so the silent man came through safe. That's a bully story, said Jack. Who was the silent man? I think you've seen him a few times at that. She concealed another smile and said, in the most businesslike manner. Chow time, Pierre, and set out the pans on the table. By the way, he said easily, I've got a little present for you, Jack. And he took out a gold pin flaming with three great rubies. End of chapter 31